Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your host. Hello, everyone. I'm Rochelle McLaughlin, and welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I hope these words find you well, and I'd like to let you know that uh, there is some tree trimming going on outside the studio here. So just in case you hear that during the show, I I hope it won't be too disruptive. Um, And if I may take a moment to dedicate this radio show to all those lives affected by the devastating floods and fires that are happening all across our beautiful home we call Earth. I hope in whatever way these conversations can bring healing healing in some way to the world that um, may it be so. I'd also like to dedicate this episode to two extraordinary people that I've known for many years that have lost their lives too soon and are leaving young families behind. And if I may open the space for all of our listeners to take a moment to settle into any pain or grief that may be here in this moment in response to all that is unfolding in these challenging times, I'd like to just create the space for a moment of silence right now for us to honor and acknowledge what may be here for us. So thank you for that. And it is my experience that everything we do, how we are in relationship to every aspect of our lives is critical to our individual and collective healing. And caring for and nourishing our children is especially essential since they will be inheriting really the devastating mess that we are currently living out. Our children need to be stronger and healthier than ever before. And I can tell you from personal experience that our colonized, westernized, modernized way of raising our children has in part led us straight into this public health disaster that we are currently experiencing. It's a tragedy of great encompassing and heartbreaking implications and it does not have to be this way we can heal and as i've mentioned before in earlier episodes on revolutionary wellness talk radio that i healed my own older daughter's almost autism where she was demonstrating almost 30 different symptoms of autism spectrum at one particular time and thankfully i came to know of sally fallon morell's nourishing wise traditions book and the western a Price Foundation, the work of Weston A. Price, in the early stages of my daughter's diagnoses. And I have read all of her books, Sally Fallon's books to date, including Sally's Nourishing Traditions book of baby and child care that Sally co-authored with Dr. Thomas Cowan. And I read this book twice from cover to cover. Um, It's been a resource for me over the years. I recall having this visceral experience of being nourished physically just by reading this book and uh, that we're going to be having a conversation about today. It was a paradigm shift for me and a nourishing and healing practice in decolonization, actually. So without further ado, allow me to introduce my guest today, the president of Weston A. Price Foundation, prolific author and public speaker, Sally fallon Morrell. Sally has initiated and inspired the nourishing traditions, food trends of the last 20 years, butter, raw milk, bone broth, fermented condiments, healthy soft drinks, and pasture-raised animal foods. She's the author of the best-selling cookbook, Nourishing Traditions with Mary Enig, PhD, Nourishing Broth with Kayla Daniel, PhD, and her most recent book, Nourishing Fats, Why We Need Animal Fats for Health and Happiness. Sally has been on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio twice before and 
both of these episodes are still in our top 10 most listened to and shared episodes since this show began. Sally serves as the founding president of the Weston A. Price Foundation dedicated to restoring nutrient-dense food to American tables. Welcome, Sally. Thank you for being with us on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio once again. Well, thank you, Rochelle. That was a wonderful introduction. I'm feeling a little embarrassed, but I'm so glad that the Nourishing Traditions book of baby and child care resonated so well with you. I am too. I'm just so grateful to to have, you know, the knowledge. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to our conversation today about this particular book, this topic of nourishing traditions for baby and child care. So I wonder if we can begin to talk about when should we begin preparation for having a baby? Yes, that preparation needs to begin at least six months before conception, and it's preparation for both the father and the mother. And I would say if the father and mother have been on a vegan vegetarian diet or the standard American diet, that preparation needs to be longer, needs to be about two years. And you may have some perspective parents listening to this interview saying, oh my goodness, why would we have to wait? But I can tell you that it's really worth it. It's really worth it to to build up your nutritional stores in preparation for this soul that will come into your family. Uh, You are doing it for this being and not for yourselves, but for the child. And you will give that child the greatest gift that any child can have, and that's robust, good health, including a healthy mind, healthy emotions, keen mind, and also a healthy, attractive body and athletic body. I mean, what greater gift could parents give to a child? And you know, Rochelle, today when something goes wrong with a child, uh, if it has some kind of um, problem, some kind of birth defect, disease, we, uh, we as a culture uh, blame other people. We are, I, no, we don't blame other people. We blame what I call the three Gs, germs, genes, and God. And, you know, it's somebody else's fault. It's the fault of our genetics. It's the fault of a, of a germ or it's God's fault. People will say, oh, it's just God's will. And I don't believe that poor health is the will of God. I believe that the will of God is superbly healthy children, 100% of our children this way. And when we go back to the work of Dr. Price, we see the great wisdom in traditional cultures. In spite of the fact that, you know, we can call them primitive, people in Dr. Price's day call them savages, but they had tremendous wisdom about bringing children into the world. And they understood that it was their responsibility to eat properly, to create this healthy child, and it was theirs and nobody else's. And they all did it. They all had these special foods to prepare for pregnancy. This is, yeah, it's wonderful. I'm so grateful to have had this uh, awakening myself because, you know, being a part of our culture today, we are, um, you know, really colonized in the sense that we've let go of of so much of our traditions and that's a really good word we're just Mm -hmm. as colonized as you know the third world countries Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 
so that's that's part of it. Part of it is just realizing that we can make a difference in our ch- children's health, that it's our responsibility. But the second part of it is sweeping away the misinformation about what constitutes a healthy diet. And we've discussed this before. Uh, you know, a um, woman who's um, pregnant will be told to eat her vegetables and take her prenatal vitamin and to stay on her low-fat diet. And this is absolutely um, the worst advice you could give her. Not that I'm against vegetables, but um, you need truly nutrient-dense foods to prepare for this child, foods that contain good animal fats, uh, foods that contain vitamins A, D, and K. Those are in the fats and organ meats of the animals. Um, You know, clean foods that come from grass-fed animals. And the other thing you need is cholesterol, which I know surprises people. And, of course, cholesterol is only in the animal fats and organ meats. And cholesterol is very important for, it, it is the basis of sex hormones, which mom's going to be making in huge amounts while she's pregnant. And it's the um, basis for, you know, growth in the child. So you have to kind of sweep away this idea that fats and cholesterol are bad. Yeah, you definitely do. And I feel like this this in particular is such a powerful dogma that somehow we're getting in many different levels in our culture and it's it's really tough for um, so many uh, westernized uh, modern people to let that propaganda go. It, it really is, and it, it takes a bit of courage. It, you, you really have to read and uh, kind of reason with yourself. I know I was talking someone to someone today who is all into sustainable agriculture and no pesticides, none of that, but he's on a low-fat diet and thinks canola all canola oil is great so you know you need to get this whole picture not just avoiding the toxins and the poisons which of course we should do but also eating the foods that protect us from those poisons and toxins and that ensure a robustly healthy baby can you speak to those foods in particular well we actually have a a pregnancy diet it's in the book, the Nourishing Traditions book of baby and child care. And the diet includes whole raw milk, cod liver oil, uh, liver in some form uh, a couple times a week. That could be a delicious pate. Two or three egg yolks every day. Uh, about four tablespoons of butter every day. Fermented foods for building a healthy gut flora. Uh, bone broth, as you know, which provides um, lots of things, including glycine, and the pregnant woman's requirements for glycine are very high. Um, And fresh fruits and vegetables, of course, uh, uh, red meat. Um, It's not a diet that tastes bad. It's actually a diet that tastes delicious. Seafood, we also recommend seafood uh, several times a week. And what are some of the other um, the advice that you give to pregnant women as they prepare? Well, we, we, um, we address this question, you know, is this a time when you should uh, have to be really careful with yourself and, and not do anything? Or is this a time when you can just do everything you did when you weren't pregnant and have the same level of activity? And I think the truth is somewhere in between there. 
Uh, you certainly can carry on with most of your activities, but I don't recommend punishing exercise or changing jobs <laughs> or putting yeah. on a conference or doing anything extremely stressful or redecorating your house. That's another one that's going to expose you to a lot of chemicals. Yeah. So there's certain things I think are not a good idea to do when you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know you do talk a bit about some of the newer interventions that are happening to pregnant women. Can we talk a bit about this? Yes, you know, this I find this really distressing. So when I had my babies, which was in the 1970s, early 80s, people still remembered the thalidomide scandal. And every obstetrician that you went to said no drugs during pregnancy, absolutely no drugs. That was still the the uh, advice that was given to pregnant women. Mm-hmm. Now, that's all gone by the wayside today. People seem to have forgotten the thalidomide scandal. And I know that women are given all sorts of drugs, including antidepressants when they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. They are given vaccinations, including um, flu vaccinations, which have a lot of mercury in them and aluminum. Mm-hmm and can uh, increase her chance of miscarriage about 4,000 fold. Mm. Uh, uh, The other intervention that I'm very concerned about is the ultrasound, which is untested really, and there's been no long-term study on what this does to babies. They say that the sound of the ultrasound in your womb is like a train coming into the station at full speed. It's very loud. Uh, The ultrasound is aimed at the brain and the the head and the genitals. And a lot of people are wondering whether the great increase in um, underdevelopment of the genitals that we're seeing today and also um, neurological problems like speech impediments Mm -hmm. are the result of this ultrasound. Now, you know, why would you do ultrasound? Well, you might want to do uh, one ultrasound to determine whether there's any birth defects. But I need, I warn you, these ultrasounds are not perfect. And if you are not prepared to terminate a pregnancy, there's no reason to do ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And very often they pick up things on the ultrasound that look bad, but that aren't bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you can determine these things with a blood test. And I think that's a better way to go. Okay. Uh, but then there are women who are getting these every month, and the uh, fetal monitor is also an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So I tell the mothers, find a uh, um, obstetrician who will use a stethoscope to listen to the heartbeat and not mm-hmm. the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So none of these landmines were there when I was having my babies. You know, <laughs> the doctors used the stethoscope, and they... Um, uh, they didn't uh, do ultrasound. <laughs> they weren't yeah. giving you vaccinations. Uh, yeah. All that's gone by the wayside now. Sally, what would what would you say for so now? Baby has arrived, and uh, what's the best um, nutrition and care for um, baby once baby's arrived, and for mom too? Well, of course, we know that breastfeeding is best, mm-hmm. and I guarantee that mom will have a much more successful time breastfeeding if she continues on this diet, if she's followed the diet while pregnant and continues on this diet. However, we do get women who, for whatever reason, 
can't breastfeed successfully. And I know I get a lot of attacks for this. I mean, <laughs> the, <laughs> the feeling is that everyone, every woman can breastfeed. It, it's always successful. And if she's not having success, it's her technique or she's not relaxed enough or something like that. But I, I had my own problems. I breastfed my first child with, uh, completely, and, um, although I had to spend a lot of time doing it. But I just didn't have enough milk for my second child, and even though I was doing all these things. And he was starving. And you, you have to remember that you, can't, you shouldn't be so tied to the concept of breastfeeding that it makes you overlook uh, you know, what's actually happening with your child. Okay. And if the child is not gaining weight, if the child is always crying, um, then you need to look into something else. And of course, we all know that formula is not the answer. It's about the fakest food there is on the planet. God. <laughs> and I'll come back to this in a minute because I want to just tell you something I learned recently. Okay. So we, ha- we have a formula that you make. You make it out of raw milk. After all, mother's milk is raw milk. Mm-hmm. and uh, the next best thing would be raw milk from another mammal. And we add certain ing- whole food ingredients to the raw milk to bring it more in line with the profile of breast milk. Mm-hmm. And I would say that probably ten to 20,000 babies have had this formula uh, with wonderful success. They just thrive on it. So mm-hmm. if your baby's not thriving, you need to... Um, you need to take this step. And very often the moms can do a kind of half and half thing where they supplement a little bit with our formula if they don't have enough milk and then they um, can still breastfeed. <laughs> I just want to go back. I was in an animal feed store recently and I saw this bag of milk replacer for calves. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty awful. A lot of fake ingredients as well and you know added vitamins. But third ingredient in that in that label on the label it said animal fat animal fat oh wow so they know that these animals need animal fat to grow normally Mm -hmm. but there is no animal fat in any of the infant formulas wow and Years ago, uh, somebody told my colleague Mary Ennig, she said we know we should be putting cholesterol in this form in these formulas because babies absolutely need cholesterol, mm-hmm. and we can't do it because of the political climate. Mm-hmm. So, if you're giving formula to your baby, you are denying your baby cholesterol, and babies don't make their own cholesterol. Mammalian milk has a very high level of cholesterol in it, and special enzymes to ensure that the baby, whether it's a human baby or an animal baby, mm-hmm. absorbs. 100% of that cholesterol. And they need that cholesterol for the development of their brain and nervous system and for the development of the second brain, which is the gut. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, yeah. it's really a terrible situation that this uh, completely phony notion yeah. that animal fats are bad mm-hmm. has, is being applied to children, babies, when all of the science says that that's wrong mm-hmm. and it, it continues to this day Sally how would you so we're talking about breastfeeding and the the you know proper milk how about first foods for baby right so again I I, I just walk into the lion's den with every 
everything here. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we need to go back and look at traditional cultures. And what did they do? Uh, they did not breastfeed exclusively to one year. The, av- the age of introducing solid foods varied from three months to six months. In, in some cultures, it was actually one month. And what was it that they gave the babies? Usually the mother chewed on some liver till it was soft and had her saliva and stuff, and then she gave that to the baby. And isn't that smart? Because we know that liver is the most nutrient-dense food there is. So our advice is sometime between four and six months, depending on the maturity of the baby and the size of the baby, uh, you start solid food. That doesn't mean you're going to stop breastfeeding. You still breastfeed, but you start the solid food, and it should be uh, puree, even kind of watery, liver, uh, red meat or other organ meats, and egg yolks and these should be the first foods for baby not applesauce out of a jar or squash out of one of those plastic things (laughs) (laughs) i mean the baby foods today are appalling at at least uh, 30 years ago you could buy egg yolks in a little jar for moms Mm -hmm. who just could not bring themselves to cook an egg yolk Mm -hmm. and you could buy liver in those little jars Mm -hmm. and you can't get those things today yeah. So you need to learn to make the baby food for the baby. It's not hard, and uh, you can get a little grinder, a little mini mill or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really not hard. And, uh, you know, you're going to need to cook <laughs> for the baby <laughs> and for your child for a long time. So start when they're young. Yeah, I found it's, it's simple for me to chew it. Chew her food. Uh, yes. You can do that if you want. In fact, yeah. the chewing is really good. The saliva has all kinds of good bacteria in it. It's got lactoferrin in it, which, uh, excuse me, it's got lactoperoxidase in it, which is an antimicrobial. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Seems easy. But what I'm very concerned about is this baby led weaning. And okay. <laughs> here's, here's the lion's den because I've had a lot of people mad at me about this. Yes. Baby led weaning, you, you put these hunks of food. The, not pureed on baby's tray yeah. at four months, six months. A baby cannot eat these things. It doesn't have teeth, um, hasn't learned to chew. And, um, and then they're, they're saying is foods before one are just for fun. Well, actually, foods before one matter a ton. There's no period when baby is growing as fast or making as many connections in the brain. And the baby has to be nourished. And you do that with your purees or your chewed food, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And with the most nutrient-dense foods there are. And that yeah. would be the egg yolks, liver, and other organ meats. Yes. And can you speak to maybe weaning uh, related to nursing? Does Weston A. Price uh, have recommendations and, you know, yeah. I um, I think the baby usually tells the mom. I know mm-hmm. uh, my daughter at eight months, she was not interested mm-hmm. <laughs> anymore. Some babies uh, gladly nurse till two or three years. Um, that's fine. But what I would, uh, that's fine as long as the baby's getting other foods. In fact, mm-hmm. um, an exclusively best breastfed baby will become anemic because they're just not getting enough iron from breast milk. Okay. And anemia is a very bad thing to have happen in your baby. It really uh, interferes with neurological development. And babies who are anemic are very clingy. Um, they they have a hard time. They, they sometimes act like an autistic child, actually. Mm-hmm. 
hard time with social referencing. Um, so where were we? So, uh, but one thing I would say, you know, we recommend spacing your children at least three years for between each child. And mm-hmm. if you want to have another child, I would stop breastfeeding before you get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. I, I know that in traditional cultures, moms do breastfeed while they're pregnant, but I think things are so tenuous and difficult in this culture. I think the best thing for your next baby is to have all your nutrition go for that baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to breastfeed five years, that's fine, but wait until you stop to get pregnant again. Yeah. Well, it's time to take a short break, but before we go, I'd love to share an excerpt from Sally Fallon-Morell and Thomas Cowan's book, Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. It says, Price did not believe that physical degeneration was mankind's natural state. He was rather inclined to believe that nature intended physical perfection for all human beings and that children should grow up free of ailments. Price's bewilderment gave way to a unique idea. He would travel to various isolated parts of the world where the inhabitants had no contact with civilization to study their health and physical development. His investigations took him to isolated Swiss villages and a windswept island off the coast of Scotland. He studied traditional Eskimos, Indian tribes in Canada, and the Florida Everglades, South Sea Islanders, Aborigines in Australia, Maoris in New Zealand, Peruvian and Amazonian Indians, and tribesmen in Africa. Price described babies and children who were robust, healthy, alert, and curious. He noted that village life was rarely interrupted by sound of child of a child crying. The cheerful optimism of young and old especially impressed the dentist. Parents uh, in these cultures did not need advice on dealing with anger, tantrums, whining, and destructive conduct because these types of behaviors did not exist. Price came to the conclusion that what his contemporaries referred to as defects in moral character were not the result of poor parenting skills or bad genetics, but poor nutrition. These are the words of Dr. of Sally Fallon Morrell and Dr. Thomas Cowan in their book, The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. You can connect with Sally Fallon Morrell's pioneering work at WestonAPrice.org and nourishingtraditions.com and attend the upcoming Weston A. Price conference that's held in Minneapolis in November. And we will be right back with Sally Fallon Morrell. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices, facing challenging realities head on, opening up new places of power, and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Music. 
listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, everyone. Last week, I announced my my next big adventure that is to ignite a movement for us all to embark on a journey of becoming embodied. It is emerging in the form of a book at this time, and it has evolved for me over the past 10 years or so as I've healed deeply in this process of becoming embodied myself. It's also a practice in decolonization. And I would love your feedback as the the book takes shape. And there's a link to the Becoming Embodied Facebook page on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's webpage here on Voice America's Health and Wellness channel. And I will be creating a YouTube channel for it. So so definitely stay tuned for that. And as always, I so appreciate appreciate your emails, your thoughts, your suggestions, questions. So please keep those coming. Thank you so much for for all of that. Um, And I'd love to share an excerpt uh, now by Stally Fallon Morell. It's from her book, uh, Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. And it says, unfortunately, the modern world has largely ignored or even ridiculed the findings of Dr. Weston Price. Instead, formula feeding and canned baby food have become the foods of choice for infants and low-fat diets for children are enshrined as national policy. The baby book, the best-selling tome by William and Martha Sears, contains no dietary recommendations whatsoever for pregnant mothers and warns against saturated fat in food like eggs and butter for children older than two years. Both the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Sears uh, couple specifically follow the USDA dietary recommendations calling for low-fat milk. Um, Not surprisingly, The baby book devotes a large portion of its pages to dealing with behavior problems, digestive disorders, rashes, respiratory problems like asthma and bronchitis, considering such unfortunate conditions as normal in the course of childhood years. Cautionary statements against, um, actually, I should say, modern books on baby and child care largely warn against the foods formerly considered important for growing children, which are raw, raw whole milk, butter, liver, and other organ meats like bone broths and egg yolks. And fat phobia now reaches its bony pointed finger down to those who need it most, the very young. And the day is not far off when we will view this, these puritanical and unscientific restrictions as a severe form of child abuse, worse than corporal punishment, over strict parenting, child labor, or the Victorian suppression of natural instincts. This is from Sally Fallon Morell and Thomas Cowan's book, Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. My, our guest today is Sally Fallon Morell. She is the president of Weston A. Price Foundation, and you can connect with her life changing work on WestonAPrice.org and nourishingtraditions.com. And there's also a conference coming up in Minneapolis from the 9th to the 13th of November. It's the Weston A. Price Conference. And it's uh, it's an amazing conference. I've had the great pleasure of um, attending one in the past, and I highly recommend it. You definitely want to to go and attend and learn so much in those um, those conferences. Um, to welcome back, Sally. Thank you. Can we talk about? Um, you know, this, I mean, it, you, this is kind of a general statement, but the suppression of natural instincts. But what's happening now with? the dozens and dozens of vaccines that our babies and our children are begin, being given today. Can we speak to speak about this? 
Yes, I mean, it's it's so horrendous what happens. If, if the parents don't take a stand, the baby is vaccinated uh, against hepatitis B, which is a disease of drug addicts, on day one before he leaves the hospital. Then at the one-month baby checkup, he gets about four shots. And then at the two-month, he gets two or three shots, four-month shots, eight months, and, and so on. Um, this puts a load of aluminum and also mercury. They haven't gotten the mercury completely out of these vaccines. And all sorts of other horrible things, including com- something called polysorbate 80, which opens up the blood-brain barrier to ensure that these neurotoxins get into the brain. Um, it is horrendous what is going on, and uh, the children are suffering f- for this. I-, I-, I can say categorically that every vaccine has um, some kind of negative effect on the child. You might not see it. It might be two or three IQ points less. Is that what you want for your child? Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually they manifest as um, just a slowing down of behavior, a withdrawal. Um, I think these children look very unhappy. They don't smile much. And then in, in some cases, you have absolutely severe reactions. The baby immediately goes into high-pitched screaming and seizures. And suddenly the baby has full-blown autism or the baby dies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, America has the highest infant mortality rate of all the developed countries. And uh, I think vaccines are the reason. Vaccines put on top of a diet that gives these children no no protection whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to be casual or insouciant about protecting our children against disease. I mean, that's the parents' responsibility. But there are better ways of doing this than vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Children need a lot of vitamin A in their diet. Uh, They need their cod liver oil. And believe me, if you start young enough, those babies take the cod liver oil with glee. They they love it. Uh, They need to be kept off of a lot of sugar. Uh, They need to be on the bone broth and nourishing soups, Um, fresh vegetables and fruits for vitamin C. I mean, you definitely need to be aware and to um, do what's right to protect your children, but you do not need to vaccinate. Mm Mm-hmm. Can we, uh, before we go today, can we talk about the importance of play and imaginative play for our children and how long, like how long do they need the, this this time to engage in play? I have, I have to tell you that I was at a dinner party once and kind of got into the conversation about feeding children. And one of the parents said, well, you know, I am just so busy making sure that my child gets to all his lessons and that I I have to make sure that he's got that the friends that he plays with are the right friends. And I have to make sure that all these things she was doing for the child. Uh I don't, I don't um, have any time for, to worry about his food. Uh You know, we we let the, we let our children eat whatever they want because after all, you know, they have to be in school. They have to go to these lessons. They have to learn all these things. This is exactly the opposite of the philosophy in the Nourishing Traditions book of Baby and Child Care. What the parent needs to be putting his or her time into is preparing the food, providing a structured home environment that's safe, giving the child plenty of love, and then leaving that child alone. The first seven years of life, even the first ten years of life, the child's work is play. 
imaginative play without the parents hovering, helicoptering, telling him what to do, telling him how to play. You need to leave your child alone because that play is extremely important for his psychological development. And what happens with children who are never allowed to play is that they sometimes, when they reach their 40s, they have a a second childhood because there was so much pressure put on them when they were young to learn too soon, et cetera, that they, you know, they are very unhappy and they have to kind of have this fling when they're in their 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when, when I was growing up, um, it was very hands-off. Um, we actually lived out in the middle of the Arizona desert, and we were very lucky in that it was quite safe, and my brother and I uh, were allowed to go anywhere we wanted. We could just go out there and explore, and we found old cottages that had been burnt down. <laughs> we found animals and insects. And that's the ideal kind of um, upbringing for a child. You know, the parents aren't there to tell them what to say or think. Now, what goes along with this is the, you know, there's so much pressure to make the child to to have intellectual education at this Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I really agree with Rudolf Steiner. Um, Learning to read should be put off until they're at least seven. Mm -hmm. They'll catch up. They'll catch up within months to the child who was forced to read when he was three. And because they have a good, well-nourished brain, um, uh, it'll be very easy for the child. But I think that those first seven years of life are so special. You know, adults don't know how to play. Mm -hmm. They they can't do that. Only the child can do that. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to let the child do it. Yeah, I've heard also comments about, you know, making the shift to preparing healthy food that, oh, it's, you know, it's so time consuming and so expensive. And while it could be, there was a letter that came that I read, I'm still moved by it, that came in the um, the journal, the Weston A. Price journal that you um, coordinate, Sally, so beautifully. But it's uh, it was a woman that grew up in rural Argentina with a mm-hmm. family, it was, uh, you know, there are not wealthy family, clearly on a farm. And the mother, she wrote about, so she had 15 siblings. Siblings, yes. Mm -hmm. And she wrote about how the mother had, you know, just one pot of, which they put spring water in. She had some bones with some meat and some veggies, whatever was available at the time. And the, the entire family would dip into that, you know, for all their meals over the course of the day. And so... It wasn't time-consuming, and it wasn't expensive, It and yet it was deeply nourishing, and I yes. just was so ch- moved by that. By the way, that letter had something else very interesting in it. She said that the baby stayed in the parents' room until it could sit up, mm. and then the baby was moved to with the siblings. Mm. So, I, I'm, you know, I had a woman uh, email me. Um, she had three children. The oldest was six. And they were still all in bed with her. The mm-hmm. husband, husband had moved out to another room. Mm-hmm. He, could, he could get some sleep. And that is, that's wrong. Um, you need to, uh, I remember my, my daughter when she went to her <laughs> pediatrician for the six-month checkup, the pediatrician said, have you got that baby out of your room yet? <laughs> and she was surprised because this was a very, you know, new age holistic doctor. And she said, well, we have. But she said, why do you ask? And she said, you would be amazed how many moms come to me in their one-year-old checkup, um, so proud that the baby's still in the bed with them, 
Mm-hmm. And at two year old checkup, I learned that she's gotten divorced. Oh. <laughs> so your husband needs you. He needs your companionship. Um, he needs the sex. You know, it's, it's really wrong to put that baby in between you and your husband by keeping him in the bed too long. You know, the mm-hmm. first couple of months if you want to keep them in there. Mm-hmm. But the baby's not going to be grow up to be an axe murderer if you put him in another room. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a wonderful quote that you have in your book. It's it's uh, related to this, and it says, "It was the Austrian philosopher, social thinker, and esotericist Rudolf Steiner who first discussed childhood as a separate stage of existence." Um, You go on to say, Steiner warned against extremes. The life fully lived, he said, was a life consciously and precisely guided between opposing tendencies, between materialism and mysticism, between discipline and relaxation, between structure and laissez-faire. This is good advice for parents torn between strict parentist and relaxed childist philosophies of child rearing, between helicopter and hands-off parenting. Parents do well when they avoid extremes, providing gentle discipline, but also freedom to play within the structure of family life good nutrition through delicious meals, and an example of relaxed self-discipline above all, avoiding the extremes of constant disapproval and smothering affection. And while your child is engaged in the very serious business of growth and play, you as a parent can observe and enjoy, for the universe holds no greater wonder than the developing child, especially the very healthy developing child. And if parents know how to provide the foods for optimal physical growth and the environment for optimal emotional and spiritual growth, they can sit back relax and let nature do the rest <laughs> that's true it's true yeah 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 i think it's beautifully said um sally so we just have a, a couple more minutes left and i'm curious um if there's anything you'd like to share if you want to talk about the conference how people can get uh connected what to expect at a conference oh thank you yes we um our conference we we're very proud of this conference this is not a conference where you'll hear, hear a lot of cheerleading. This is a conference where you're going to hear get real information. Mm-hmm. The main track this year is hormone health, and we have some fabulous speakers talking about thyroid health. Uh, you know all the different hormones. Uh, the um, one of the speakers is talking about recovery from bioidentical hormones, which I think mm-hmm. might be interesting for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, we have. Uh, we have tracks on nutrition. You will get the absolute latest on nutrition. A lot of practitioners go to those tracks. But we also have tracks on um, practical things, how to make fermented foods. We have tracks on um, ma- managed grazing, on farming, um, holistic farming. So there's a, a range of subjects and um, level of difficulty at the conference and we're doing a couple things different this year um normally i give my um all-day seminar on traditional diets on friday Mm -hmm. this year we're doing it on saturday and there's a special uh, rate of 60 dollars just for my seminar and lunch so Mm -hmm. hopefully a lot more people can come to that Um, the other thing i'm doing that's different i'm doing the cooking class on monday Mm. And it's an all-day master class. We'll do three whole meals. We'll talk about the um, basics of sauce making. I'll teach people how to make brown rice that you can't resist (laughs) and how to make vegetables so delicious your children will actually eat them. Um, So that's on Monday. And the other thing we're very proud of, we are the people who brought Natasha Campbell McBride to America the first time and have brought her work 
uh, to the attention of Americans for work on autism and the GAPS diet, mm-hmm. gut and psychology syndrome. And Natasha does an all-day seminar on Friday at the conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I attended one of her talks at the Weston A. Price conference when you were out here in California, and there were hundreds of people <laughs> in yes, her I audience. I was yes. just so blown away. And she was on last week, so if anyone missed that particular episode, definitely um, check that out. But her work is is so healing and resonates very much with Weston A. Price Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work. first heard her speak in Australia, and I was just blown away. Here was a doctor from halfway around the world mm-hmm. coming at this from a completely different direction yeah. who was saying the same things I was. Uh, these yeah. children need fats. They need vitamin A. They need cod liver oil. They need broth. Yeah. Uh, all of these things she was saying, and I, my mouth was just open. I, it was a real confirmation for me that, you know, if you really study all these things, you'll all you'll come to the same conclusions. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say that's probably mo- one of the most palpable experiences in the healing journey for, for my daughter. For healing the gut, healing the autism was, was animal fats. That in particular, I just, I feel it in my, every cell of my body that, that it was the animal fats that really has healed her. Yes, and it's such a difficult concept to get yeah. across to people. Yeah. I know. I know our our dogma is so uh, entrenched. Fats <laughs> are bad. Yes, lean in our culture. Yes. I know. I know, and you know, I I love this idea too that here you have you know m- hundreds of people come to your conferences and how and you feed everyone this nourishing food and, and <clears> yes, uh, we can't get over how that how <laughs> can do that. Yes, we always find a hotel that we can work with. We have a lot of food donations, and we show people what this diet is like. If you're completely new to this, you will be very surprised how delicious the food is. You will be introduced. We'll have bone broth. We have soups made from bone broth, sauces. You'll be introduced to fermented foods like sauerkraut and also healthy soft drinks. Uh, We'll have kombucha and other healthy beverages there that are a great a substitute uh, for, you know, the terrible soft drinks in America. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, if you want to also speak to the different the chapters, the Weston A. Price chapters that yes. are all over the world, so people can connect with those that community too. Right. We actually have a meeting for our chapters on Thursday, our chapter leaders, and then they will be there for the conference as well. Some of That's them. Will be there. We have over five hundred chapter leaders. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. We have a chapter leader in Tehran, Iran, mm-hmm. and and he will be there at the conference. That's so, so fantastic. Yes, I'm excited about that. Yeah, our local chapter just met, and it's a wonderful way to come together with a community of like-minded people, especially like we've been talking, Sally, that it's it can sometimes feel like we're going against, you know, such a cultural norm that we can, you know, feel like such black sheep sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, um, one thing everyone comments on is how friendly our people are. But all, hotels always say, my goodness, your group is talkative. <laughs> and <laughs> I promise you, if you're new to this, if you feel like an outsider, uh, this group will really show you that you belong to a community of like-minded people. Yeah, 
It's really beautiful. And Sally, any last minute thoughts for the last minute or so that we have? Anything else you'd like to share? And um, anything coming up with your nourishing traditions? um, Well, I've just finished, you know, I've just finished another book. It's called Nourishing Diets. I had a wonderful time writing it. And I basically talk about how people really did eat before they were civilized, before they were colonized, as you'd say. And that's coming out next spring. Um, that'll make one more in the nourishing series. That's wonderful. Hopefully we can have you back on for that. Okay. Talk okay. about that, Sally. My guest today has been Sally Fallon Morell. And if you are interested in peeling back the veil of modern Western dogma around raising children, you will definitely want to pick up her uh, one of her best-selling books, and that is the Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. Thank you so much, Sally, for being with us thank today you. on Revolutionary Thanks Wellness Talk Radio. And thank Always you. a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for your just your groundbreaking work that you do in helping us regain clarity around raising physically, mentally, spiritually healthy children. I'm forever indebt- indebted personally to your work because oh, um, you really helped me turn around the health of my family. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rochelle. We'll look forward to the next time. Yeah, and there is so much more to learn, so be sure to order Sally's latest book, Nourishing Fats, as well as her other books on Amazon, and you can connect with her on her website, nourishingtraditions.com, and you can connect with the conference and register at westonaprice.org. And to all of our listeners, you'll definitely not want to miss next week's episode of Precipice with Annie Levin here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. The Precipice series is brought to us um, by the Emergence Network. It is um, a show where we are wondering out loud together as we navigate these perplexing ecological, social, economic, political, and existential realities of our times. And in the meantime, please join us on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Facebook page. Definitely check out my new Becoming Embodied Facebook page. I would love your feedback. Uh, Our Twitter feed is at RevolutionWell, and you can connect with us on our website, experiencerevolutionarywellness.com, as well as revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com, where you will find our beautiful and inspiring issues of uh, Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. It is such a pleasure to be here with you all on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Until next time, I'm Rochelle McLaughlin. May you be well, and may we all be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion, and to pathways to health for our world with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. 